Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 986. Um... I have a bunch of dates coming up, doing stand-up. Um, these are in cities like uh, Brea, California, San Diego, Portland, Phoenix, Oxnard, Nashville, Salt Lake City. Uh, at the end of uh, the see the Brea shows are Feb 22 and 23. San Diego is March 7, March 9. Then Portland, Phoenix, Oxnard, Nashville, Salt Lake City. So, um, you know, just <laughs> Google those <laughs> and... Uh, and soon I'll have a place uh, to put those up. But uh, I hope to see you out there. And let's talk about you, the ID10T community, and the corkboard that hopefully you emailed to events at ID10T.com. Like uh, Stefan Walsack, who writes, I released my debut novel back in October, uh, which is in the genre of horror, titled Crimson Sky. I also have my own debut electronic album due out in the spring, but I composed and simultaneously released a full-length original soundtrack with my novel which is designed to be played while read. Oh, that's such a cool idea. My goal was to combine two mediums of art in new and exciting ways and to create a truly immersive and cinematic reading experience. The book can be found in paperback or digital editions on Amazon simply by searching Crimson Sky uh, Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N, and it'll pop up as the first result. Uh, and my musical work can be found on all music platforms by searching Stefan Walsack. So there you go. And Walsack is W-A-L-C-Z-A-K. Uh, that could also be Walchak. Ooh, Walchak, Walzak. Damn it. It's the new black dress, blue dress craze that's going to take over the internet. The old Walzak, Walchak um, dilemma. Maybe when I say one, you hear the other. Are you, are you with that? You're, oh, you're a Walchak person. Well, I only hear Walzak. Uh, in any case... Stefan, that is a really cool thing that you're doing, and uh, way to make two things, not just a thing, two things. Also, Daniel writes, I want to tell you about a podcast that my friend Aaron and I started earlier this year. The podcast is called Look What I Did, and it's a one-hour conversation with a different creative person every other week. The conversations are a lot of fun and never go anywhere you would expect. Check us out at lookwhatidid.net, and the show is available on all major podcast players. Thank you so much. Uh, for submitting that and for making the thing. This episode is Jessica Roth, who is in uh, Happy Death Day to You, which is the sequel to Happy Death Day. It is in theaters February 13th, and I highly recommend this movie. You know, uh, Happy Death Day was great, and you kind of think, well, how could you make a sequel to that? 
And they did. They completely pulled it off. Lydia and I watched it and loved it. It's such a cool idea for a sequel and it expands the universe and it's a, it's a slightly different thing. And then the way that they incorporated the first film and how it just, it's great. So you should definitely go see it because I want them to make a third. I really, and when you see the movie, you will understand why it's important that they make a third one. Uh, Jessica has been in a million things. And uh, uh, if you haven't seen Happy Death Day 1 or 2, then uh, you may have seen her in La La Land as Alexis. Uh, and, uh, and she's just great. She's just great. And also turns out D&D player, her boyfriend is a DM. She plays D&D. So you better believe that comes up in this conversation. So uh, thank you, Jessica Roth, for being so fantastic and being phenomenal in uh, the new Happy Death Day. And uh, this episode, by the way, is brought to you by Squarespace. Destiny is calling. It says you need a new website. Make it with Squarespace. I mean, hopefully it says some other things, too, but that is definitely on the list uh, when De- when Destiny's calling you. Hey, it's Destiny. Um, so, yeah, 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 life and death, uh, like job stuff, career stuff, relationship stuff, but you need a new website, my friend. Oh, I'm getting another call. And then Destiny uh, puts you on hold and then it doesn't come back. So you might as well just get the new website. While you're trying to wait for Destiny to click back over and let let you know what else to do with your life, Squarespace gives you the ability to customize the look and feel of your website with just a few clicks. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. Very powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online. And then analytics are going to help you grow in real time. There is built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thank you to Squarespace. And thanks to Destiny. And thanks to Jessica Roth in the ID10T podcast number 986. Which will begin in five, four, three, pra, sna. Initiating ID10T protocol. Design the streets. They're like, maybe if we concave the streets, that'll be a good idea. Uh, and it turns out it's terrible. I live on a crazy hill, and whenever people scream going over my hill anyway, because it's one of those ones that's steep enough that when you get to the top, you can't see anything but sky. So it feels like you're in a rocket ship. And um, but when it rains. You, we wake up and hear people screaming as they drive down the hill because there's just no traction. And the other day I saw, when we had the big rainstorm before, I saw a group of teenage kids with skateboards. Oh. And I was like, if I don't call the 
cops and then one of them dies is it my fault and then i was like oh i'm getting old yeah that's, that's what right. this means i'm yeah. turning into an old person these kids and they their damn kids <laughs> these damn kids and their skateboards but that's a that's exactly the kind of thought that i would have yeah. too how responsible are you if some kid fucks himself up because and he's could just you, yeah you didn't intervene in whatever way you could and you could have done something yeah. And then, you know, when the cops are there, did anybody see anything? <laughs> okay, I saw something. It was me. I didn't say anything. You're going downtown. Um, but there were no broken bodies. Well, either. that's good. The, I don't know if they actually did it, but we, there was someone who tobogganed down our hill really? in like a plastic toboggan. Yeah, it's it's 35, a 35% grade. Wait, is this in Los Angeles? Yeah. Jesus Christ, because it's not, uh, I know there are streets in San Francisco that are treacherous yeah where you're almost at a 45 degree angle and you see cars all the way up you're like well those are just gonna roll down yeah but la except for being except for the the area of the hills like a lot of it's pretty flat yeah so people when people see hills they freak out it's like when it rains here or when it snows when there's anything that's unpredictable and not just kind of like medium Mm -hmm. we're all spoiled wieners here in los angeles that can't handle I've been bitching about the rain and then remembering, like, oh, yeah, there are places in the Midwest where people are instantly frostbiting. <laughs> the second they step outside, their limbs are like they dip their hand in liquid nitrogen. And now I'm like, it's a little bit of flooding. You it's, know, it's not that bad. It makes you soft. I'm from Colorado, so I know, I know what you mean. But Colorado, even the winter there is is so benign. Can I went to oh, high I mean, school in Denver. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Where'd you go? Regis. Okay. For like two two years. Three my years. my friends did um, the production of Les Mis because there were no girls, so they needed to like import girls yep. to be in their show. I did not do it, which is probably why I didn't get kissed until I was like sixteen years old. <laughs> well, our, our, my, our that school is co-ed now. Yeah. And it wasn't when I was there either. It, it wasn't when. When I was in high school, I went to Creek though. Which oh, you I went never, to Cherry I Creek? No, I don't tell anyone because they think I'm an ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. The reputation for that school has not changed. No, but there's like, aren't there like four thousand? Like, it's a huge school, right? It's huge. There are four. It's bigger than most small colleges, which is why I went to Boston University and I decided I needed to go somewhere that was bigger than my high school because I was like, I would go and tour other conservatory programs. I was like, there are only 200 people here. I can't do this. It's too much. Um, But yeah, it's, there are four different buildings. It takes seven minutes if you're running to get from the East building to the West building, which Mm -hmm. are the two opposite sides of campus. And so it, and there are 4,000 kids. My graduating class had, I think, like 989 students. Jeez. Um, it's really big. I think that was maybe more than all of Regis High School when I was there. Yeah. It was a really, really, really small yeah. school. But as a result, it's kind of amazing because there's not – there are groups. There are cliques. But there isn't really a popular crowd because there are too many kids sure. for everyone to worship one person. You know what I mean? Like there are way too many people. There's for, more like click mayors. Yeah, there are. There there are definitely like I was in the geeky clicks, like I was in the choir uh-huh. group and I was in the theater group and in like AP English and and there are definitely lords of those places. Like sure. there are the people who everyone is subservient to, but sure. there wasn't like a queen or king of the school, which is why when there was prom king or queen, everyone was confused because it was someone that half of the student body didn't know who they were at all. It was like living in a city. Yeah. Like, oh, that guy? Li- oh, I didn't know that guy went here. Yeah. You could probably just find your own little corner and then just never experience the entire rest of the school. Exactly. If you wanted to. 
but our school, like everyone knew everything. I mean, it, it, but also it's terrifying. Yeah, but but you know what though? Because it was all boys, mm-hmm. there was no like guys weren't um, <clears throat> um, posturing. Yeah. So there was a, there was there wasn't really a lot of dickishness that I remember because no one was trying to like impress, impress anybody. anybody yeah. You know, so it was just like okay, we're all here. We all have a dress code. Just chill the fuck out and just go to school. Yeah, I wish that had been part of my experience. There was definitely <laughs> a lot of posturing that went on. But, you know, that's also, like, I feel like I had the high school experience that people, when they watch 90s rom-coms, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that was my high school. For real. Like, that was actually what it was like going to Creek. Everything you see in 10 Things I Hate About You, like, actually happened. <laughs> people would do stuff like that. Like, when people would ask each other to dances, they weren't, they wouldn't quite Heath Ledger, like, dance across a football stadium, but people would dress up in, in, like, full Cookie Monster outfits or, like, TP everyone's car in the parking lot except for one car or do it at, like, a, at the Rockies baseball game. Like, people would, do huge things to ask people to go to dances with them. I love, I really love Denver. I think yeah, it's a great, it is. I'm doing stand up again there in a couple really? months. Yeah. D- down to Larimer square. Oh, okay. Which, it's just, Denver just has such I'll a great my vibe. Parents to go see you. Yeah, they should. Yeah. 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 I'll put them on the guest list. If they don't mind a moderate amount of swearing. No, nah, uh, they're, they're hip. So yeah. it's fine. <laughs> and they're from Denver. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, yeah, like, like weed is legal there yeah, now. Come on, it's super cool. Just chill out. Everything's fine. But Denver has, you were right. You're right about the winters, but it just has such a, there's just such a nice mellow vibe yeah. to it. Um, although I don't know, do you do you think you'd ever go back and move back there someday? I kind of wish I could. I love I love Colorado. I think that the difference to me between Colorado and Los Angeles is people who live in Colorado decide they want to live in Colorado and figure out a way to make their lives work there. I think uh-huh. people in LA live here because that's where their jobs are. Right. And and there are wonderful things about Los Angeles. There are really fantastic pockets. I've lived here a couple years now and like it's definitely much more my pace of city than New York was when sure. I lived there, which I loved, but I always felt like I was running for my life. I'm <laughs> um, like just like sprinting, <laughs> trying to not die. You're claustrophobic. The yeah. buildings are gonna ah, it's all yeah. closing in on me. You know? Well and and there's I read a when I first moved there, I've always had a really I've been a quick study. Like my memory is pretty good for lines and things like that. And when I first moved there, I couldn't remember anything. Like, not just my auditions, but also I was forgetting, like, obligations I had in grocery store, like, all different kinds of things. And I read an article that was like, if you live in a city, the part of your brain that is short-term memory is so maxed out from trying not to die, from, like, remembering (laughs) to check your cell phone and trying not to get hit by a bus or making sure you're walking down a street that's safe, that's the same part of your brain that your short-term memory uses. Mm -hmm. And so a group of scientists went into the woods for two weeks and turned off all their phones and didn't interact with anything that was concrete and, like, had tons of space. And their ability to problem-solve and memorize things increased tenfold, like something crazy like that. It's basically... It's basically just all RAM. And so it's like having too many applications open on your desktop and your computer starts to chug yeah. and slow down. And it's funny that if you did shut off your devices and did go kind of live in the forest for a little while, it would be like taking that drug in Limitless. You're like, I'm a, I'm a yeah. superhuman. You're like, no, no, this is – you're just supposed <laughs> this, to be able to do this. This is how yeah. you should operate all of the time when you're not ODing on, like, urbanism. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, that's a book title. Yeah. ODing on urbanism. That will be my my autobiography. Oh my god, you have to re- just just jot that down somewhere. ODing on urbanism. Just just make a note of it. Some that's your it's TED a, talk. It's a really re- it's also a really good Urban Outfitters book. That's you also- know what I mean. <laughs> like those snarky uh, like. I'm an adult, but adulting is hard. ODing on urbanism. Oh, God. I just, yes. Oh, the, the satire of what you just said was so accurate <laughs> that it upset me for a second at Urban Outfitters. It's probably like a guy with a lumberjack shirt on yeah. and some thick glasses and a curly Q mustache. Yeah. Do you think we're coming to the edge of that hipsterism movement? or Because you said you... Did you live in Williamsburg? I I never officially lived in Williamsburg. My boyfriend and many of the people I loved live, lived in Williamsburg, and so I spent a lot of time there. Yeah. I lived... I was in um, Carroll Gardens, which is like the Upper West Side of Brooklyn, okay. um, which I really loved because it was just a little more quiet and residential. It's run by the mob, so there's no problems anywhere. <laughs> like, no, but like, seriously, it's the crime it's is still, all very organized. It's very organized. It's and it's a really, really safe place to live. Um, but I spent a lot of time in Williamsburg and was definitely around there when the hipster like resurgence was or not even resurgence, just like awakening. Right. A hipster awakening was happening. Right. I mean, here's the deal. I kind of love some of the hipster shit. Like, I, I'm, I'll i be the first person to knock it and make fun of it. But what I will say is I think people who enjoy hipster-type things legitimately, like, if it actually brings you pleasure, I have no problem with that. It's right. people who do all of that stuff because it looks Instagrammable and cool. It's the aesthetic of it. It's it's the same yeah. – it's it's that same obsession with with aesthetics that is – Ruined all culture across all, you know, yeah. across all sectors, not not just the hipsterism. Yeah. Well, because Eric, my boyfriend, he he's an actor, but he's also a woodworker. So he straight up is living the lumberjack life. Like, he has a beard and wears flannels, but he legit goes into a place and chops down wood and, like, builds things out of it. So I have no... I that, like but it. that's an actual skill set. Yeah, he and has an And someone that you want to be set. next to in an apocalypse. We for have instance. we have a great house for an apocalypse. We have good vantage point. He he hand makes bows, so we have <laughs> oh like my God. an arsenal. If, if the apocalypse comes, you should come to our place. We we go camping, so we have a ton of like we have like thirty pounds of freeze dried food, and we have a dog. Like it's it's going to be. I could bad. open that door for you right there and show you the. Uh, <clears throat> there's a closet in there. Where my wife has uh, accumulated like three years of supplies, <laughs> literally piles of boxes showed up one day, and she was like, "What? Just in case there's Just a in case you never yeah. know." Well, yeah. here's the deal: we'll bring the bows if you'll share your food. We'll share the food. Yes, we'll you 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 you'll have a spot in our ark. <laughs> Uh, after the apocalypse <laughs> Does happens, this, the whole house just like uproot and mm-hmm. it will float away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 split up some magnetic, some maglev uh, technology. Fantastic. So it'll just sort of float across the city and be uh, a, a, like a flying fortress of sorts. Amazing. And then and then Eric is your boyfriend's name. <laughs> yeah, he can make bows and then hunt from the top of the yeah. house. Yeah, uh, he's really good. Wild dogs and I'm, okay. I'm okay. He's been teaching me. I'm not as he he started making bows because. He was part of a very hipster underground archery club in New York City that happened in an art gallery. Okay. Um, and so he, th- the rule was you have to use one of their bows or you can make your own. So he was like, oh, I'll make my own. And now that's what he does. Now, does, does, your, does Eric know Nick Offerman, who is the ultimate Eric bearded woodworker? He works at Offerman Studio. He does. He just helped Nick figure out how to start making ukuleles. So if you are one of the 15 lucky people 
who gets an Offerman ukulele, because I'm pretty sure they're only 15 right now, um, Eric hand-whittled all of the necks. Oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. It's I, really cool. I just imagine Nick coming in and saying, gentlemen, our assignment for today is to construct as many ukuleles as we can. And then but, with, but with time and care and patience <laughs> and respect for the wood. Like, it's a very... The cool thing, I think, about him having the opportunity to work with Nick is that Nick does it... Nick is a craftsman, and he loves the art of it so much that yes. it's about... It's really about doing things right. Yeah. Um, and that's... So amazing and something that I feel is lacking from our our world. Of course it is because it's so easy to not do those yeah. things. We like no one is under any pressure to have to make stuff with their hands unless yeah. that's your job. Yeah, unless, or unless you love it. Right. Or you need to do it. That's right. Or you're going to die. Well, I feel like more of us should adopt the, that we need to do it. Yeah. But you know, the bear skeleton that you saw in the living room, yeah. the base was made by Offerman Woodshop. Really? Because it came in on just this kind of ugly metallic base and I said I want it to look like a museum mount Mm -hmm. and so I worked with them and I would you know you sent them pictures of Derek hickory or walnut Derek yes you named the we didn't really have a name for the for the cave bear skeleton and now Derek has he's been crowned Derek and he fucking looks like a Derek Derek. because his mouth is agape and his arms are up he just looks like hey just chill out here what's going on guys come on you guys this base is fucking rad. Like it just—he's—he's he's definitely. He's somehow also from the '90s and kind of a stoner. Like <laughs> you definitely know that he likes skateboards or did. He's basically Encino Man. He is the plot of Encino Man. <laughs> a '90s—that was '90s, I think. Uh, are you? Were you a big pop culture person? No, I. I well, yes and no. I loved the things I loved, but I was kind of a loser in the sense that all the things I loved were things that old people loved. Like I, in middle school, I was really into big band jazz music. Uh-huh. And I was like, whatever, Hanson, I want to listen to more like <laughs> Billie Holiday because I just loved how it made me feel. And I loved the theatricality of it and how dramatic it is. And it's also just so beautiful. But so I was really into that. I'm, I'm a avid, I like to think of myself as an avid reader. I read all of the time. I love fiction. Um, but we didn't really watch that much TV in my house growing up. Um, we, I was allotted like 30 minutes a day, and I was never – I was just doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt kind of behind the pop culture curve. But luckily, my group of friends has – Brought me more up to breast with things like oh, I, I know more. I'm I'm in a I'm in a movie club that we meet every Monday and we watch different movies. Recently, we watched Videodrome, mm-hmm. which was really intense. I had never seen it, and then I chose for us to watch Heather's because it was a movie that I had never seen that I needed to watch. Right. Um. So we watch all different kinds of movies in that. Um. But yeah, I definitely I'm becoming much more savvy, and I feel like being in the industry that we're in and even doing doing a movie like Happy Death Day you have to expose yourself to that genre in a whole new way just for me to do my job well. Yeah, cuz there are a lot of great references. There are a lot of references. Especially in the second one yes. which Lydia and I saw last night and loved. Cuz I know I said to you when you first got here like so you see the first Happy Death Day and you go how could they do this again? Yeah. And then we saw the trailer and like oh fuck that looks really fun. And then we saw the movie last night and it's fucking great. It's like its own story that is still tied to the first one but is a complete like it completely opens up yeah. the the world. And that's it was something that felt so important to Chris Land and our amazing writer, director, who I just can't sing the praises of enough. But it was really important to him and also to me that if we're going to make a sequel, most sequels end up to 
sometimes feeling like repeats or regurgitations. And especially when you're making a movie about a loop, that would be so easy to do is just kind of lazily set a different group of pretty people into this situation and just like let it spin out the way that it will. But it felt... It felt really important to us to tell a different story and to explore these characters more and, like you said, expand the world. Right. Which I really think Chris did so beautifully and our cast and our crew embraced. And I was so grateful, um, like, without giving too much away, of course, that there is a much more emotional arc for Tree. Like, this really, really beautiful thing. Because I also felt, going into this movie, I was like, what could I possibly do? do in this character that I haven't gotten to do because in the first film I got to kind of bring out all my tricks and like go wild and be funny and scared and sassy and brassy and and just kind of do all of this stuff and so I was worried I was like I don't know I don't want to I don't mind revisiting things but not if it's not if there's not something new to discover right and I really think that Chris found a whole other layer it's hard to talk about it too much because there's just too many spoilers. There's too many spoilers, <laughs> yeah. and and there's too many great surprises. And so I don't I don't want to give anything away. But that emo- but the emotional, but the emotional grounding of it. There's like really great, sad, beautiful yeah. scenes in it too. In the midst of you know, I mean, I it's my favorite kind of movie, which is the jokes land. But there's some because we, we actually we watch Groundhog Day Saturday night. Because it was Groundhog, it was Groundhog Day. Day. You have to. You have to. Ode, Ode to Bill Murray. A little Ode to Bill Murray. And then uh, and then we watched the sequel last night. And I, Groundhog Day is probably, if it's not my favorite movie, it might be number two. But it's definitely it's up there. It's kind of a perfect film. It is perfect from top to bottom. Yeah. And so, to be honest, when Happy Death Day first came out, the first one, I was like, I don't know about this. Groundhog yeah. Day. And I saw it and I was like, oh, fuck, they did it. It's so good. Because <laughs> it is... It is, without being too self-conscious of it, it is aware. Yeah. Like, you guys make reference to it. and so Which it is- we added during reshoots. Oh, really? Because we had been looking for a place to do it, and we just couldn't find it. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but originally in the first one, I was supposed to die. Oh, it's on I did the not d- know it's that. It's on the DVD extras. Oh, my um, I made it out. I made it out of the loop. I made it to Tuesday the 19th. And my dad is there, and I'm in the hospital, and I'm so happy, and I, I'm this new person. And then Gregory, the guy who I've been sleeping with, his wife comes in and poisons me. And so it's, <laughs> it was a very snarky, very kind of like life still getcha ending. Yeah. And when they tested it in front of audiences, they flipped out because they kind of felt like you made us care about this girl. And she went on this crazy journey, um, a journey that I loved and I loved being able to do. And so we reshot it. And when we were reshooting it, we were sitting there and Chris and I had been talking about like what a good button for the end of the scene would be yeah and i was like oh we have to put in the bill murray joke yeah she does because of course tree would not know no tree wouldn't know who bill murray is no um and there are some really fun moments like that in the sequel and well. she wouldn't know ghostbusters yeah, she wouldn't know ghostbusters she wouldn't know she back, wouldn't back, to, know the back to the future no <laughs> she like is aware of things but she's been too busy with other stuff like she's too busy being cool to well also watch movies. in 2019 someone in college would have been born Around the year 2000. Yeah. So Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, these movies are 15 years or so before, and even Groundhog Day would have been years before this character yeah. was born. So of course, it's entirely plausible, especially if she's the type of 
character that doesn't really seem like she's into nerdy pop culture yeah. stuff in the beginning. Which I have no... That would just be outside her sphere yeah. completely. Yeah. Um, but did you... And did you know these films before going... I did. Okay, I did, luckily. Here. I did. I did. Um, and I watched... In prep for the first one, I watched Groundhog's Day a couple times just to be inspired by it and, and understand how to function within a loop without being repetitive and being alive and, and what that kind of confusion would feel like and different options of that. I also watched Edge of Tomorrow because yes. that, I actually think that film does it incredibly well. It, that movie is amazing. Well. It's an amazing movie. I think it's very, I actually don't know if it's underrated because I have no idea what it was. Un, it was. underperformed okay. because I think people didn't know. They like didn't know what to do with it. The, yeah. They didn't know how to market it. Okay. And I think most people just thought like, oh, it's just a weird sci-fi Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Without and and most people thought it was called Live Die Repeat because that was on the poster, but uh, yeah, marketing but, is hard. Marketing is hard, but that's a but Edge of Tomorrow is a prime yeah. example of. Eh, sometimes you can have a really good movie that just people just don't they don't understand yeah. it so they don't go see it. But you know, like I think it has become. I think if you ask most people who like film, they go, "Oh, actually, that movie was yeah. was really it's rad. a really and." Emily Blunt is just so, so great. Good. I mean, she's amazing in everything, but I watched that and then I watched Scream and there mm-hmm. were a couple of Scream Queen references and Final Girl references that Chris thought would be useful because um, he's just such an encyclopedia of knowledge about film. Like his his knowledge of film is amazing and it's one of the reasons the first and second film are so peppered with references because that's just his brain, right? the way that it works. Um we have some really lovely Sixteen Candles, John Hughes moments. And then in prep for the second one, I did watch Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2 again. Um, it was really funny because actually while we were filming in New Orleans, there was a screening at the Ace Hotel of Back to the Future 1, but on mute with a live jazz improvisation happening. So it was like this totally bizarro, like you were watching it. In the background on mute, and I think it's a movie that people know well enough that you can still really enjoy it, and you know, and the storytelling's so clear. Sure. But you know what's going on. And then these six jazz musicians are just sitting there being like, dee dee beep, 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 <laughs> squee, squee. Um, and sometimes it worked really well, and sometimes not so much. But it felt like such a cool mesh of, we're making this movie that's inspired by this movie, and we're in this city about jazz, and they're doing jazz. Like, it was, it was a very kind of kismet moment long form improv is hard you yeah. know you're like those but but you watch it for those you're forgiving because you're like those moments when it works it, it's, it's amazing so, yeah. they're not going to stick the landing two hours straight yeah. you know but uh i wish i had seen that i really wish i had seen that <laughs> but this but this uh the thing that's great about the references in the movies though is that if you don't get them you don't lose anything mm-hmm. and if you see them then you then it just adds yeah. they're like points. easter eggs yeah um which are really fun to know they exist, and it's fun to watch people discover them. Yeah, I know I, I, this is a really strange thing to say, but you do an amazing rage scream. Your rage scream, <laughs> walking through the quad the first without yeah. giving anything yeah. away. The, the is new walk of shame, spectacular. Thank you, spectacular. The amazing thing about that is Chris. So Chris and I have become really close friends and there's a lot of trust there and a lot of respect. And he's one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with. And we knew each other well enough now by making the second film that there were certain times I'd be like, can I just try something? And he would just let me go. And that was one of those moments where I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was to just 
lose my shit. Mm -hmm. And he, and I felt safe enough to do it because there are sets where if I had done that and not like told people I was doing it or warned them, it would have been a problem. (laughs) Um, But, but it was also nice because I, I think it, it just, sometimes you need those genuine reactions. Like I couldn't tell Israel and Fee that I was going to do that because I think that they, they would have been waiting for me to just lose it. Um, But yeah, thank you. I'm, I think of myself as a pretty cheerful person, but I think everyone has a little rage inside and and I enjoy this job and love this job so much because part of what I get to do is explore those other parts of myself that aren't socially acceptable. Right. Like just a big old rage scream. Well, that's what that's what's so great about uh comedy is that it, there's that layer of protection yeah. that it but it's really hard it's so hard to capture it where it's not too far, it's far enough but it's not too far and it just as crazy as the story gets, it's weirdly grounded. Like, it's yeah. really weirdly grounded at Thank the same you. time. Thank you. So, that, was, that was what we were going for. At the end of the day, we always came back to who are these characters and what do they want and what's important to them. And I think that because of that, we were able to get away with so much more. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is such, a, um, such an incredible almost get out of jail free card mm-hmm. if, if you ground everything that you're doing in these people and their relationships. Um, and I think it's also one of the reasons the first movie did really well is because you genuinely cared if these people died or not. Right. And if they hadn't been real people or if they had been more archetypes, like the archetype of tree, she was the girl who should have died in the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then some other hero rises from the depths. <laughs> right. Like it's Carter or it's Laura, <laughs> like it's someone else. And they solve everything. But the beauty of these films to me is that we give this girl who normally wouldn't be given a second chance or a second glance all this time to figure her shit out. Right. Um, and it also allowed me then to really lean into the unlikable parts of her um, and explore that. And I think that's something that, young women don't get to do in Hollywood very much. Like, right. you don't get to be super unlikable and then turn into a badass heroine. Like, well, but that's but that's sort of the human journey, right? Yeah. Where you, you have faults or things that are selfish or whatever, and then you grow and you learn and yeah. you evolve, and then you become a person, you become an adult or whatever yeah. it is. And... Uh, but it's so it's so easy to paint in one dimension on in horror particularly yeah because it, they're just cheap and easy to make and it's like oh if this works you know we'll spend 5 million dollars yeah. and make 200 million you know it's like yeah. there's too much of that and but to have a movie actually be about something and the characters have depth it's uh it's it's for someone who watches my wife and I watch a ton of horror and it's always refreshing when it's like, Oh my God, these characters, I gave a shit about them. They they were funny, but the stuff was really fucked up and, and it was, uh, and you guys just carried that off so flawlessly. Is it, did this, did the first movie, did you know, could could you feel like a bump in your, did you feel like a career bump (laughs) after the first movie? You're like, Holy shit. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I did, I did feel I felt that I was suddenly in rooms that I was really excited about and talking to people who I admire and who I know would challenge me and and who blow my mind and, and who I'm in awe of. Um, but at the same time, I think that this business is so <laughs> cyclical. Like you're always climbing the stairs. You're always right. trying to get to the next point. Um, but yeah, I really, I really did. And I, I think, again, it's because... 
Chris Landon and Jason Blum in producing the film allowed me to play a character who was so unexpected and so um, brave. And, and they let me go there. And Chris always tells me, he's like, one of the reasons I cast you is because you aren't afraid of looking ugly. <laughs> Which I, I was like, that's true. It's true about me. But the funny thing is, I, I think that up until this point in my career when I got that movie, sometimes I'd audition for things or I'd get feedback and they'd be like, yeah, it was a little too theatrical. Or what if you toned it down a little? What if it was a little more? Kind of, they would never use the word mumblecore, but what if it was a little more mumblecore? And so I finally found a project that celebrated this huge part of me that for a long time people had been telling me like, it's just, it's maybe just a little too much. Right. And then I found the project and the director who were like, no, that is this. That is what makes Tree amazing. That is what makes you amazing. I want to like watch that for days. And so in that way, it's, it, it really made me remember and believe that you get the jobs you're supposed to get. And that's such a great point too, because for anyone who feels like they're, Trying and trying and trying yeah. and not – because especially through the audition process, it's – you start out and you're just trying to fit into other people's boxes yeah. basically. They're trying to fit you in a body and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work. And then finally the thing that you feel like you've been penalized for for so long ends up being the, the thing, thing that not only – which is just being yourself, like being yeah. – embracing who you are not only defines you – but like elevates you and yeah. the people go, oh, you know, yeah. like now. I get it. Yeah. And yeah. so what's going to, what's probably happening now is that now you're a type. So people are going to be looking for a you type. Like, yeah. oh, can you do what she did? And it's yeah. like, oh my God. Oh, thank you. That's, yes. such a, that's such a compliment. But well, and it's, and I, that's another reason I was so grateful and so excited to do the sequel because I felt like I got to show an even different side of not only of myself, but of tree. Um, a more emotional and more intimate side of because she's she's figured out what's going on. She's still trying to solve a problem, but at the same time, she's not fighting for her life in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just different. It, it's so it's different also in that cyclical way that like you learn the same lesson over and over again. So when you encounter it again later in life, I do this all the time where I'm like, oh, I thought I dealt with that problem like seven years ago. I thought I had like come out the other side. And I was over whatever neuroses that was, but I'm not because life is about like continually, continually looking at yourself and looking at those demons that you, that you will always have and that will always be there with you. And, and that's one of the things tree gets to do, even though it's technically in like in such a short and long span of time, she's encountering something she thought that she had already fixed and mm-hmm. dealt with just in a different way. Right. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge about life. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense because it everything is cyclical. I mean, our culture is cyclical. Yeah. Our lives are cyclical. And things, you know, we can put emotions aside that we've dealt with and we might think, oh, those are put to bed. Yeah. But... That doesn't mean that they're, yeah, you're right. It doesn't yeah. mean that they're gone. They still might, you know, and each time you have to deal with them, it gets a little bit easier, yeah. as frustrating as it is, but that's just And it shows up life. in different ways. Yeah, it is life. But that's also what's beautiful about life is you just, you are who you are and you can continue to try to be the best version of that person. But that's why my my mom and my family and close friends have always said, you know, like, when you date someone, when you're with someone, make sure you like who they are because you're never going to change them. And I think, you know, you spend 
your late teens, early twenties being like, Oh no, like I'm like, I'm not trying to change them. I'm just, we're, we're, we're going to make each other better Better. and we're going to do this thing. And then you realize like, no, actually who this person is on their worst day. I need to love them and be ready for that to be 50%, if not more of life. Like I need to be cool with the fact that like there may be a couple year span where we're just in the shit and that's okay. And, and I love this person and I love them for that. Um, as opposed to trying to Florence Nightingale, like just trying to save someone. Cause I definitely did that for a very long time. I was like, I will save them. They are different when they are with me. No, they're right. not. They're yeah. the same person. Yeah. You know, you have to, you know, when you, when, when people tell you who they are, you should listen. <laughs> and it, that's hard to do when you're young because you just don't under, you have to go through that yeah. before you learn that lesson. And then that makes you, Better for the next thing, better for the next person, better for the next job, better yeah. for the next thing in life. That's just that's that never ending process. And that's the that's why these like time loop movies are so perfectly allegorical for Yeah, you just keep fucking up until you get it right. Mm-hmm. And then once you're the person that you need to be, then you can move on. Yeah. I mean it's such a weird not to get all like, oh man, we're all stony about it. But uh no, I love we're it. all Colorado about it. <laughs> but it but it is that idea that you you know, you're not ready to move on until you're ready to move on. Yeah. And you just have to sometimes go through those loops until until you get there. And I've done that in relationships. I've done that in my career. And I, But I really do believe what you said, that, like, I, Eric, my amazing, amazing boyfriend, I would have never been ready to date him if I hadn't gone through the breakup I went through right before. He was way too nice to me. I, like, would have <laughs> totally discounted him because I didn't think that 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 I was worth that. Sure. And it's the same with jobs that you you reach a point where something different in you clicks, just in the way you approach material or the way that you view yourself or whatever it is. Um but yeah, I like I like that our time loop movie is so um important to the human it existence. Is, it's like it's like saving lives. Yeah, I'm I kind think, of doing really important work. I mean, right you're now. welcome world, Thank I you. guess. If you want a menu for how to live, yeah. then you I mean my watch dad's a doctor, but I also <laughs> save people. Um <laughs> On a lo- did my does my dad save millions of people at the box office? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, does yeah, I'm gonna stop there because that's that's the that's the button to that joke. <laughs> I, it's, Groundhog Day, there's a lot of theories, and I think Harold Ramis may have even said, oh, we kind of landed on, I think maybe 10 years was how long mm-hmm. he was trapped in the loop. But there were other theories that, you know, based on an it old like proverb. 200 it was, years. It was like 10,000 years, yeah. you know, like a man's heart can, has to change after 10,000 years or 10,000 lifetimes. And I, I like to think that the original Groundhog Day was like 10,000 years to yeah. me. But I don't know if he would have lost himself in that time. But I didn't... In the second movie, Tree references like, why already died 11 times? So like in the first movie, she goes through it she 11 goes through times. 11 times. Yeah. It, it felt we, we gave a real number because one thing we very consciously did when we were making that first movie is when we were constructing like, who is Tree at the beginning of this film? Even though she's a bitch, she's a bitch because she's gone through heartache and she's gone through trauma and she's built walls around herself and she's defensive and she... Um, has become a little self-centered as a result because she's protecting herself. Sure. Um, and we needed who she was at the beginning to be someone that we believed would change over that course of time. If she had been Danielle, I don't know if Danielle would have changed over 11 times. Like, maybe. Uh, who's to say? But but we needed it to be someone who was adaptive and intelligent and could learn very quickly, mm-hmm. but also had 
the space in her heart to change in that amount of times. The second one is funny because someone asked me the other day, how many times do you think it happens? I think on screen we only see maybe eight, Mm -hmm. but I think it's much longer. I think the second film, she is in whatever situation she's in without giving too much. (laughs) But I think think it's a much longer process because she's dealing with science that's outside of her control. Right. Um, You know what I'm talking about. I do. I know what you're saying so hard. And I I don't know if you agree with that, but that's, I, I don't even know if I was conscious of that when we were filming it, but just kind of the overall exhaustion with it and the fact that She's on a very specific mission, but kind of how campy and crazy it gets at points. I'm like, she's been in there a while. Well, and again. Also, and also, it's, <laughs> and it's, again, and again, and again. But it's that thing of, uh, you know, you, and, and I think probably the difference between a character like Danielle and a character like Tree is that maybe Danielle hasn't had the trauma that, that made her, because going through, going through any trauma, Makes you stronger. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. But it's but the perfect uh, analogy that someone said once, it's like the way to kind of look at your life is, you know, when people uh, exercise or go to a gym, mm-hmm. they know that in order to become stronger, they have to essentially tear and damage their musculature. Yeah. And but because they know like that's a system that's a so closed safe system where you know like I'm going to go do damage because I know it's going to make me stronger. Yeah. But we don't often live our lives that way. We think our you know like we do anything we can to avoid that trauma uh, rather than kind of embracing it when we can because it is those are the moments where we become stronger. Yeah, and, we and where better. you grow and where where you get out of your own way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I think that. Tree's trauma, which is such a central point of both films, is and such a big. If this gives away too much, you guys can cut it out later. Um, it, it, one of the biggest messages of the second movie, I think, is your experiences in the past, good or bad, your trauma, your mistakes that you've made. That's what makes you you, and that's what makes you beautiful, and that's what makes you powerful and striking and exactly the person that you should be. And so given a chance to change that, given a chance to erase that, yeah, that's a great idea. But A, there are no do-overs in life, but also then you wouldn't be you. Right. And so then you wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. It just doesn't work that way. And, And I think I really love that such a central message of the film is like you, exactly who you are as you are, is perfect and as much as it may hurt embrace that part and celebrate it and carry those lessons through life with you because you will be able to share those with people and affect their lives and you also will have a better life for it this movie also feels like it has the perfect here's my hope here's my hope for happy (laughs) death day three because it it's open yeah. The possibility when people watch the film, they'll understand what that means, mm-hmm. but it's open. And my hope for Happy Death Day 3 is like fucking $100 million action movie. <laughs> you know, like with crazy, because I don't know if I've seen that really. I guess maybe we've kind of. I, well, maybe that sort of happened like with Evil Dead, you know, no, Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead it. 2, we've never Army seen of Darkness. It. No, we have never seen it. But, but the idea of like, you know, intimate, fun, uh, kind of horror movie 
spawns a world that's a little bit bigger, spawns like massive, you know. I want to see fucking Tom Cruise and you in Happy Death Day 3. <laughs> From your mouth to Jason Blum's ear. If anyone can make it happen. Oh, yeah. He's like the Willy Wonka of Hollywood. Yes. It truly, it's like, it's so insane because not only, I mean, he does make dreams come true. He also takes chances on things that other people wouldn't. Like, Chris yeah. was talking about this the other day. He was like, if I had walked into any other studio and said, I want to make a horror slasher comedy love story science fiction drama they would have shut the door in his face sure and i think jason just has a really amazing ability to see talent and to trust it because when we made this film the amazing thing about working with blumhouse is they support you and they let you make your movie Mm -hmm. like we made the movie that we set out to make and i think part of the reason is we weren't trying to appease so many different people that's right which can happen a lot of they're times. flexible and they can move yeah and they kind of operate like a startup yeah as opposed to a big studio which has a lot of hoops to jump yeah. through but the other thing that's amazing about blumhouse is that they are all horror fans and movie fans and understand i've been i'm working on some stuff with them too and they're amazing Ooh. they're amazing like they just yeah. know you pitch ideas and they go oh yeah you know and this could be a little more like this or this kind of yeah. reminds me of this and they give they give really good notes yeah they're really really smart and all of the people they hire are super smart and their crews are some of the best crews i've ever worked with because they're used to the blumhouse machine they're used to cranking out movies in 5 to 6 weeks but as a result we were never waiting on set ever like we rarely had to wait for like lights or for if some, it took us a while to get into the groove sometimes but it was so Seamless. Um, but on the second one, that was also because we got a lot of our crew back, which was such a delight. It was like summer camp. Like, everybody was back. The whole crew was there. We had, as you saw, a couple new faces, but who seamlessly fit in. Um, and those these movies have just been such a joy to make. And there are so many reasons for that. But again, I have to sing Chris Landon's praises because he is such... An incredible leader and he's so kind and generous and so insanely smart and he allowed for a lot of collaboration and a lot of improv and a lot of fun but at the end of the day he knew what the movie he wanted to make was and i think that's bizarrely a rare thing now like there, there are so many directors who i think don't quite know what their vision is which is fine you can find it along the way but when you're shooting a movie in five six weeks you yeah. need to know what you're trying to get yeah, And it can morph and change on the way as you discover what the story you're telling is. But you need to know where that North Star is. You need to know where you're paddling towards with abandon because otherwise people freak out. Well, yeah. And also when you're working in um, when you're working in a genre where everyone's kind of it's like a gold rush, because, mm-hmm. again, you, you know, you can spend just a few million dollars and hit the jackpot and all of a sudden have a massive movie. You have a lot of people coming in, but it it takes a real crafts person yeah. to um to whittle it down and hone it because uh even if you had a big budget movie people can use the budget and get lost because money can solve oh, a yeah. lot of problems there's never enough money there's you ne- will you, yeah. you will always use all of and the so money. you have to be as creative as possible and i think that's what really makes 
you know, that's the other balancing act yeah. behind a really great horror movie. It's like, oh, they didn't have all the resources in the world, and yeah. yet they still were able to craft this beautiful little intimate thing. There's a lot of creative problem solving that happens on the Happy Death Day sets. And it, it also, I think, speaks to, because like I told you, there wasn't supposed to be a sequel. Chris Landon called me a month before the first movie came out and was like, I have a crazy idea. And I told him, <laughs> you're insane, but you're also the only person who could pull this off. And Chris wrote this movie based off of like tiny little hints in the first film. There are so many things. If you go, if you watch both movies back to back, or if you go back and watch the first one after you've seen the second one, or if you've never seen the first one, you watch it after you watch the second one. There are things that are set up in the first movie that seem like, oh, they set this up for the sequel. That's not what happened. Chris just is incredible at mining information Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, that would be, that would totally explain why this happened. This thing that we never explained that should happen. And maybe that leads to this and this and this. And so there were so many things that on the first movie were total accidents that look like they were super on purpose uh, <laughs> for our sequel. And and that's the beauty of that kind of lightning in a bottle that making a movie can be. Now, mark my words, this is going to happen. Uh-oh. <laughs> someday, someday, very soon, uh, You and maybe this is already happening, um, you're going to get an insane... You're going to get an insane job on a movie that you can't even believe. Like, this director, this movie, this cast, and something about it. And I'm just managing your expectations. I'm sure it'll be fun. But I'm sure there'll be things about it where you're like, oh, I just really miss that one. So I really hope that, you know, this thing of, like, enjoying moments as they happen, Mm -hmm. it just sounds like you've been part of such a special thing. And no matter what goals we set for ourselves in life and no matter how, oh, bigger, better, bigger, more, you know, I think what you've experienced is really what life is about. Like, it's not, you know, like, that's, that's an amazing experience to have. And I think it'll, and I think it'll kind of blow your mind that something that you thought, like, oh, I thought I really wanted this bigger, bigger thing. But gosh, like, my heart is really where this other thing was. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think, the funny thing is I've had that experience in different ways, just in the sense that I've learned the one the, the one thing I've learned, I've learned many things, <laughs> but one thing I have learned just in the time I've been in this business is all you can control is who you are on set, the connections you make and the work that you do. Because after that, it goes to an editor's hands and then it goes to a studio's hands. And like the movie that you shoot may not be the movie that is presented for better or for worse or it may take 15 years for the movie to come out. Like you just don't know. So it can't be about the product because that's actually, once you've done it, it's not yours anymore. Right. It, it is, but it isn't. And not saying that I don't feel incredible ownership and pride of these films because I do, but it took so many incredible people to make this movie after I did what I did. Like our editor is insane. Yeah. Our, our composer, the fact that he made a score that ties that together. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, he blows my mind because he wrote a score that fits a love horror slasher comedy sci-fi thriller drama. And it all it's one score, it all flows together, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's a master. And you don't know that you're transitioning genres because the music like just gently lifts you from one to the other and I I'm it's one of the reasons I love doing what we do is because it's such a collaborative art film. Yeah. Or, or such a collaborative art form to make film uh because like i 
I did theater for a really long time and I love theater. And there's nothing like the visceral experience of being on stage. But at the end of the day, you're up there self-editing. You get to choose what audiences see. You've rehearsed. You've done things with the director. You have your castmates, but you're up there in real time doing it. Whereas in film, I go and I give them a lot of options and I pray they pick the ones that tell the best story. And there's an amount of there's a certain level of letting it out of your hands and relinquishing control that has to happen, and it's scary. And I think it's why a lot of actors become producers and start producing this stuff because <laughs> they're like, I will have control. And even as a producer, unless you're like Tom Cruise, you still don't yeah. really – because you'll still get notes and you'll still get this and people weigh in, and you're right. And I wonder how many movies – like at a premiere, an actress wanted to stand up and go, stop the movie. Okay, there were yeah. way better takes. Yeah. And that cut as soon, the one second yeah. too long. You cut out before the single tear <laughs> came out of my eye. It was so good. Yeah. I'll do it right now for you. Everyone just uh, take, take a beat. Well, I think the moral of this is we can all just aspire to be Tom Cruise. We That's can what all you're just That's... aspire to be Tom Cruise and be hanging off an airplane wing at 52. I just don't want to do that. No. My stunt double is amazing. And she makes <laughs> me look like a badass. And I did some stuff. Stuff, but I was like, I'm not going to jump off a belt. Like, no. No, you don't need to do that. Also, production doesn't need me to do no. that. When I break my face open because I jump off a belt, like, that's not, no, not going to help anybody. That's not going to help anybody. No. And believe me, that just kind of happened to my wife on a oh. movie where she, on a TV show where she was in a fight scene and it just, they had to do it really fast and she got hit in the face. And it like broke her nose, oh and God. she was like for so months, you know. So she looks amazing. She I would have never known. No, no, no. But it's but it's uh, it's so yeah, you know the, the the job of a stunt person. You what you can watch some of those old eighties movies or seventies movies, and you're like, okay, first of all, that's a that dude's like four <laughs> inches taller than that guy, and that lady, like the wig, yeah, she's like a that's a mullet. different hair color, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that, I feel like. Film like they somehow have cracked it to be a lot better now yeah. than it was in those in those days. It's a it's a lot better, which is good. But our stunt team on this was insane because not only did they do the scary stuff, but they taught us and empowered us to do some of it ourselves. Sure. And I felt so taken care of, um, which is important. You can only do your best work when you feel supported and safe. Absolutely. I think. So let's talk a little bit about D and D. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, I know you play, so I want to... So do you play or do you DM? Or does someone in your group DM? I play. Eric is our dungeon master. Of course, um, the woodworker. Supreme, the woodworker. The he is the one who brought it. So I did not think I was going to like this. Let me be very clear that I knew... I just didn't know anything about it. I knew what you learn from like watching Stranger Things mm-hmm. and and listening to people in high school be mean and rude about right. it. Like I was yeah. like, I was a dorky. And so when Eric... Eric was living in New York, we did long distance for almost five years oh because we're God. masochists. Um, but when he moved here... I was trying to think of all the ways I could be like, look at how amazing life in L.A. is and how supported and like how loved you are. And so he had talked about wanting to start a game here because he had had a couple back in New York. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take one for the team. I will play. I will play. But like I'm just trying it out. And and he was like, yeah, if you don't like it, you don't have to play. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll play. And from the moment we started, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get really into this. So he... (laughs) My my character is a barbarian uh, turtle. Okay. 
which is a giant warrior turtle, for those of you who don't know. His name is Grok. He worships Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Sure. Um, so he goes around and, like, has some rock catchphrases, and he tries to model his life after <laughs> the rock. He has a giant great axe that um, every time before he attacks someone, he kisses it, and it, like, sings to the heavens. Um, I didn't know that you got to create all of this stuff about it. And at first I was really timid, and Eric was helping me. But then once we started, I was like, oh... I'm I'm into this, and we had had a long conversation about do you want to be, uh, do you want to be like someone who's sly or a, a bard who sings things, or do you want to be someone totally unlike yourself, like a barbarian who's kind of stupid? And so you have to figure. The thing I love about Grok is I'll figure out things in the game, bef- but then I have to figure out how Grok would figure them out mm-hmm. and how he would communicate them because he's not going to reason the same way that I would. Um, and it's really fun, and we have a really, really good game going. Eric is an incredible DM because he, you know, there are, like, dragons and hobgoblins and things in our world, but it's very based in political and pop culture satire. Um, there's a play, because he lives in L.A. now, There's we had to go on a, a quest in, in Frogtown, which was filled with poisonous frogs. And, like, there are certain little things like that. <laughs> the most recent thing we did is... We had to battle a bunch of hobgoblins because they were after the same tube of hemorrhoid cream that we were, that we don't know what it's for, but that it definitely has dark magic. And three different people in the game have asked us to retrieve this, so we're trying to decide who it goes to. Um, But it's so much fun. And like in the last game, I suddenly realized that I could, we were running towards, if I'm talking too much about no, this, no, you no, can stop me. I just, great. I love this it so great. much. Yes. We, we, oh, I was telling you this. So I had press junket for this at the London hotel and for happy death day. And so Eric and I were talking about, I was like, what if we played D&D at the London? And so we like had our crew come over and brought wine and like ordered room service. Oh, and sounds amazing. it was so much fun. And we we're doing this quest and I had a moment of realizing that because I'm a turtle, I could summon other turtles maybe. And so I asked Erica, we were like trying to catch these people as they were going off in a boat. And I was like, can I summon the turtles of the deep? And he was like, yeah, try it. See what happens. I made the throw. It happened. And so he, I like, yeah, put my, Grok put his head back and uttered a turtley scream calling upon his turtle brethren. It sounded like, like some weird noise and Eric was like and 70 tiny turtle heads pop up and are alert and then they start swimming towards the boat and it took a really long time for them to get there but once they did they ate the boat and its inhabitants alive and it was so satisfying but I love it's just creative problem solving and it's it's storytelling and I I our group is really amazing it's three guys and three girls we have a bard in there we have um um he told me what this was called last night in preparation for this. I don't remember, but a half, a half man, half bird. Uh, uh, arc, arc. Um, there are so many creatures. Like, There's the so manual. many creatures. Like half man, half bird. We have a dragon born knight. We have um, a dwarf woman who's really against the patriarchy. Like sure. it's a very, That's it's so That's much fun. Amazing. And then we have like Grok lumbering around, like it. trying to figure everything out. But it's. It's one of my favorite things that we do now because it's just, I'm always so amazed and impressed by everyone's brain and their creativity and, um, 
And we all we all work together. No one's tried to sabotage the game yet. Because someone asked me that the other day. They were like, so do you guys work as a team? Or how does it work? I was like, yeah, because it seems like it would be more fun than if we were trying to kill each other. Yeah, but. and so any, any D&D game really depends on the DM. Yeah. So if your DM is, your, your D&D game is only as really as good as your DM. So if your DM, and he sounds amazing. He's amazing. Something fun for you to play with for Grok might be their videos uh, online of tortoises. Uh, making love, but the noises that come out are like, like the most <laughs> upsetting. Like, that it might be, you know, just might be. I should do some research. You, 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 there's a lot of fun research for you to do. Yeah. Just looking up like tortoises because that's what enriches the game is like the more specific the more specific and the more kind of real stuff you can infuse the more fun and silly the yeah. the game becomes and the more engaged everyone is yeah it's really i have this one we we're now at level we're next time we come back we'll have leveled up to level five nice um I have one attack that's called Tormented Tortoise, which is just that anytime anyone insults a turtle or makes a turtle joke about turtles being slow, I go into a rage and like all I can add like five to my attack points, like things like that. Um, but it's it is the best. Now, do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles exist in this universe? They don't, though. One of our players, um, shout out to Dylan Dawson. He will like that. I did that a lot. He scores us mm-hmm. like he has his computer open and like whether it's Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or something else like that he's he has he's the leader of our movie club that we recently watched Heather's at and he has such an insane knowledge not only of films but of scores and so he'll score what's happening based on oh, like wow. when we go into a fight he'll find some really like either awesome fight music or something that's really ironic and funny um, but so when Grok was summoning the turtles, he turned on some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Fantastic. So, yeah, it was, it was really on point. It was well done. Now, uh, oh, well, you have to, well, you don't have to, but if you feel inspired, the next time you can bring up the Vanilla Ice Turtle Wrap from <gasps> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. I think that was part two. Uh, the go ninja, go ninja, go. I mean, it <laughs> kind of feels appropriate yeah. for what you might be up to. And if you guys ever, listen, I'm not, Inviting myself, but if you, but just for like a, just for I like mean, a drop in, you could come here. We could play in dude, the dining room. Dude, everyone would lose their shit. You better the, feel, be very cautious about offering this because it, we will definitely take you up on it. I would. I'm. I'm totally who's game your, for. It. Who's your character? I. Or you, would you create one specifically for this? I have one, but I could also create one specifically for this. I think it would probably just depend on. You know, like, I'd have to have a conference with the DM. I'd have mm-hmm. to just kind of find out, like, what works best for the game. Yeah. You know, does it work best? It's very respectful yes, of you. Yes, of course. It, 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 does, it, does it work best to come in with a pre-existing character or roll something mm-hmm. just for, like, a one-off appearance? You know, like, I pop yeah. up once and then maybe recur later or something. I mean, yeah. who knows? But uh, I think it would be it would be his discretion for, okay. for how that worked. But I always play magic users. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would be... Are there, is there a wizard in the group? We ha- we do we have a warlock gotcha. so he's he and we just met his um the satanic demon who he sold his soul to to get magic powers which is Excellent. a punk rock ox Great. like giant just ox creature um who has a weird British accent for some reason. That's the other thing that's amazing about Eric doing this is not only does he create this amazingly creative world, but he's an actor as well. And so he really gets into all the side characters. Yep. So all each single one has a different voice. They all that's like great. 
operate differently. They all have definite personalities and desires and wants. And it's, um, it's so much, it's so much fun. It's really fun. And especially, you know, as performers and as creative people, yeah. I mean, it's just a good like story building exercise. Like if you strip away all of the other fun stuff behind it, all the creative thinking, all the, you know, all the probability and all the fantasy stuff. Uh, it's just a good story building exercise yeah. and a good exercise at working with a group. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he has it or not, but uh, my friend Kyle Newman uh, put together a book with a, with a handful of other people that is the basically the history. It's called Art and Arcana. Mm-hmm. And it's basically... Oh, no, someone gave that to him oh, for he Christmas. Just, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, sorry if you don't have it and I just messed that up. But I, th- I think he has it, but that's a good... It's a thick book and it's yeah. like basically the history of D&D through all the art of D&D mm-hmm. and it's stunning yeah. in case he hasn't seen it yet. That's so cool. This was such a pleasure this to sit so down nice. and talk to you. And and again, my wife and I are s- fucking love both movies. Thank you. And I hope the second one does even better than the first one. Thank you. And Me too. please come back and, you know, like... As as your as your career trajectory takes off even more, you know, it'll be really interesting to see where you go and what you do. Like, what do you want? Like, what's your when you think about like someday when you're looking back on your life? Like, what <laughs> is sitting in the chair? Yeah, I'm in like the chair. Eight thousandth D and D meeting. Yes. Um, I want to do everything. That's the thing, and that's one of the reasons I've loved this movie is because it kind of let me do a mini version of everything. I want to do. A crazy action movie. I want to play a Bond girl, but a cool one. Like, not the ones who are just like, ah, and sleep with. I want to play like a fucking awesome Bond girl. Mr. I, Bond, here yeah, are the secrets. Yes, here they are. Um, I, I want to be in a, a really character driven, gritty indie film. Um, like Winner's Bone or mm-hmm. like Rachel Getting Married. I, I loved The Favorite. I would kill to do something like that. Like just those three women battling it out. The amount of social commentary, but humor and fun and heartbreak that exists in that yeah. film is insane. I'd love to do another musical. Like I I got the taste. I've always loved them. And I got the taste for it getting to do La La Land and then the Valley Girl remake. But like I I would love to continue to live in that world I just want to work with people who are better than me, who challenge me and ask me to do things that scare me um, because I think that's the only way you get better. Yeah, and you w- and I think you're going to get to do all those things and you've already gotten to do a lot of big amazing things but I just think, I don't know, these films just showcase you in such a specific way that I think you'll, I promise you you're going to do all these. It's, so, it's so I feel like it's so easy to see that you're going to get to do all these things. <laughs> well, again, from your mouth to Jason Blum's ear. <laughs> Jason. Jason. Willy walk. <laughs> I feel like Jason should cu- walk out into the lobby at Blumhouse and do the tumble. And do the tumble. Yeah. He might, though. That's the thing. We just don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. But that might, uh, like, he may have the purple suit. I'm having breakfast with him tomorrow morning. Um. And, and I'm going to tell him <laughs> that for Halloween, he needs to walk out of Blum. Yeah. Like, we're going to stage a thing outside of Blumhouse yeah. with a bunch of people standing around holding golden tickets. Yeah. And then he's got to come out in the purple suit and do the tumble. And then everyone will cheer. And then that can be, and their, then that's it. That can be their Christmas card. Yep. Um, what's net? What are you working on now? Are you working on anything else at the moment besides press for this movie? I am. I'm working on something that I can't really talk about, but I'm super excited about it. I'm working on developing a TV show um, with some people who, every time we have phone calls or conversations about it, I'm like, are, am I still supposed to be here? Like, are you guys sure that uh, I'm? It's not a mistake. Like, it's one of those feelings of 
not only do I respect these people and admire their work like crazy, but also I've never gotten to be part of a process from from ground zero and and watching how producers put things together, how they produce things, how you pick a showrunner, how you develop ideas, how you give notes. Like that's something they didn't teach me in school. Like I, I've just never learned how to do that. And so having the opportunity to watch people who are doing it and not only doing it, but at the top of their game doing it has been so insightful and amazing. Um, so that's kind of the big thing that we're working on right now that hopefully I'll be able to talk about soon. And we're circling a couple of projects and, you know, I'm auditioning and like going and doing my little song and dance routine. Right. Um, do you like auditioning? Some people sometimes. are really good at it. Some people um, are really good at it. I like meeting new people. Um, I, I think the thing about auditioning that's hard is when it's a job I really want, I really want it. And I don't care how many times people tell me that you can smell desperation and you can smell like <laughs> wanting something, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a good poker face. I just, I love what I do and I want to do it as much as possible. Um, but hopefully, and, and it seems to be true that the people I end up working with get that and get that it's not me being like crazy. It's right. just that I love what I do. Um, but yeah, so we're doing that. I'm reading a lot of IP, which was something that's, again, new to me, but kind of fun because it's just an excuse to read books before they come out. Yeah. Um, and I've been developing a couple project ideas with friends, which is really fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you. Thank you. And I hope, I hope people go to see this movie in droves. It is legitimately it, – it is, is one of those things where it's like – it wasn't just a cop-out sequel. It, like, legitimately builds off the first movie in a way that makes sense. And it's not overcomplicated. Yeah. I mean, listen, Back to the Future 2 is a fun movie, but it's very complicated. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, whoa, because they were trying to retcon all this stuff from the first movie yeah. to get to the third movie. And, um, you know, it uh, as charming as Back to the Future 2 is, I remember when it came out feeling like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. like, it was... It was a little complicated. Yeah, still love it. Not shitting on it, but um, but Thank but your you. movie sequel, like it's well, it it it's a perfect companion piece. It works on its own, like completely. I've talked to people who haven't watched the first movie who have watched this one, and they understand what's going on, which is insane because there's so much lore to yeah. the world. Um, or I don't know if lore is the right word, but kind of. But I I love that you feel that way, and I really appreciate you saying that because I love these movies and. And like I said, the biggest thing we wanted to avoid was making a sequel that was there for sequel sake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just love it. What's your last bit of, do you have like a bit of wisdom that you like oh, to live on. by to share with people? Or what's something you're joyful about? Like what's, could be either. I have a really good puppy. You do? I do. We got him about five months ago. Eric was pushing for the dog and I was like, I don't know. I'm not home. I didn't grow up with dogs. Um, I like them a lot, but I, I just was like, I, I don't know if we're ready and we're renting and will it be okay? And we f went to the shelter. We went to Wags and Walks down on Mar Vista and this dog who hadn't been there, like we went to see a, a specific dog. He wasn't there because he was being fostered. He and his entire litter had already, everyone had come and grabbed them because they're puppies and puppies never last. I'm allergic to dogs, so I have to go down and rub my face in them and see if I react. And it's oh, a really no. unpleasant, yeah, I like bring, bring Benadryl with me, but I have to make sure if we're going to take the dog home, it would be heartbreaking to have to right. 
relinquish the dog. And so we were heartbroken. We looked at some other dogs, but none of them were right. And we went home and they called us and they were like, oh, his name was Elvis at the time. And they were like, Elvis is back. If you come in at 1030, we'll give you first look. Because they never hold dogs, especially puppies. And we went in and the moment they brought him out, I could just feel both of our hearts just melting. He was this beautiful. I'll show you a picture when we're done. He's so, he's just like, he looks like if a child drew a picture of a dog. It looks like this dog. And he has the sweetest temperament. And I rubbed my face in him and we sat in fear in the room for an hour waiting for like my eyes to swell shut or hives to appear everywhere. And it didn't. And having a dog is just the best thing you can do for your life. Like I really... I found myself just staring at him the other morning being like crying because I'm so happy he's alive and he makes my life so much better. What did you rename him? Otis. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. He just wasn't an Elvis. He's, he just, was not an Elvis. He was not an Elvis. And he's such an Otis. He's like, we thought he was a terrier. We got a doggy DNA test done. Apparently he's not terrier at all, which I'm not sure about that. But he... Is like this scruffy little old man dog. He's 16.4 pounds. He is a dream. Um, and he's just, he's so good. Well, so that's, yeah, that's, that's not beautiful. really, that's not really, I guess the moral of that is get a dog. Yeah. If you can, or get a cat or an animal to love because it's kind of great. Yeah. Get basically something outside yourself. Yeah. Love something besides <laughs> you for a while, which You're as never... entertainers is a good thing to remember. It's a very good thing to remember. We can get a little full of ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's part of the job. But uh, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so Jessica. much. All right. The end. Enjoy your burrito. Enjoy the end. This is it. Love something other than yourself. I'm saying that to me. And to me. And to me. And to you. All right. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. You've just listened to the ID10T podcast number 986 with Jessica Roth, who was fantastic. She was great. And the movie was great, and you should go see it. Happy Death Day is so much fun. Watch the first one if you haven't seen it yet. Then watch Happy Death Day to you. Uh, and again, thank you so much to Jessica for coming on because she was just fantastic. And and today's word salad wrap, I think, uh, is very poignant to what we were talking about because it has to do with time and our use of time. Uh, and it, it's going to get sad for a minute, but then uh, I believe ends in a very hopeful way and hopefully it sort of makes you think about, you know, how you fill your time, what you do in a day, and, uh, and, and especially, like, how you talk to yourself in that day. This I saw on Reddit. What I'm going to read to you, it was posted by user Beer Olympic Athlete, and uh, got a lot of traction, so maybe you saw it. Again, I said it's on the Get, uh, get Motivated subreddit. Because Get Motivated, guys, you, you got to, you know... I read, I read it all the time because you don't just get motivated once. You have to keep reminding yourself to get motivated. It's a never-ending process. But this post was called Last Words from My Dad or Shit My Dad Said When He Was Dying. And obviously as, as someone who's lost their father, this was um, really, really 
this really punched me in the heart in uh in a in a wonderful way so uh the post goes my dad died in november he was an er doc a stephen minister a street artist graffiti artist a college professor a cancer researcher a beekeeper and a cookbook author he was a former u.s marine a book club leader a community organizer and even though he could afford a new car, drove an old 1992 five-speed Honda with 200,000 miles on it just because he liked it. He was the father of five, including two sets of twins, and all of them were born when he was in med school doing his residency. He loved chaos and craziness, thrived on it. Dad was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer in 2008 and given two years to live, just one day before our home was ruined by Hurricane Ike. And he lived for another 10 years beyond his diagnosis. He loved working with other cancer patients and made an entire library in his office of humorous reading materials and DVDs and was always on the lookout for butter rum flavored lifesaver candies because he thought they were soothing to the throat. Spent a week living in the hospital during Hurricane Harvey so the staff whose homes had flooded did not have to come in. Gave up his food so patients could be fed when high water cut off their food supply. Said it was the most interesting thing he had ever been a part of. To others, he was a doctor, a neighbor, or just a guy. To me, he was a larger-than-life role model. Easily the funniest person I've ever met and fiercely protective of those he loved. He couldn't stand the president of his neighborhood HOA. Anytime he saw a horror film or a Halloween witch portrayed on television, he would refer to it as a documentary about our HOA president. A couple of days before he died, he told us it was time to go to hospice care where he died three days later and left me this message telling me to share it with all the people I met. Please don't send flowers or be sad for me. I had a great life. Instead, Give yourself the gift of having joy in life. Have a steak or a couple of great tacos and a beer, unless you're sober. Fly a kite with your child or run with the family dog. Forgive someone or yourself for actions that happened in the past and move on with purpose. Connect with a childhood friend. Tell a teacher how much they meant to you. Live your life. Love without fear of being hurt and laugh every chance you get. Look for the good. Donate your time with a cause you find important, or just look within to make things a little better inside your heart. Don't waste time, folks. The number one complaint I see in medicine is not disease, it's loneliness. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you have time to spare. Get out of the house. Put down the phone. Don't worry about likes. Replace all that with people you love. Do more and worry less. If you want to remember me well, do one kind thing today, whether it's a smile for a stranger, having a bit of patience for someone struggling with their day, or helping a neighbor. Even if it's the head of your HOA and she's an old witch, I'll be watching. Remember, I love you and always will. And there's not a damn thing you can do to change that. I mean, what an incredible man. And what an incredible life he lived. And what an incredible use of time and just judging by all of the things that it sounded like he did his whole life the last statements that he made it didn't sound like oh I've just figured it out it sounds like he knew that in his heart his whole life so if you don't know that it's not too late <laughs> it is not too late as long as there is breath in your chest, 
it is not too late. But you're not living in a time loop. (laughs) You get one shot at this. (laughs) You know? And maybe this didn't... Maybe you kind of heard this and went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe, you know, this was the day that you realized that you can fill your mind and your day with anything you want. Obviously, you have responsibilities. You, I'm sure you have a job. You may have a family. But you can grout your time with anything you want. You can learn anything that you want. I'm learning piano and Italian just for the fuck of it because I just want to do something fun for myself. Instead of listening to the same songs over and over again in your headphones or on your way to work, you can in, listen to things that inspire you, listen to things that, that are positive. You may have everything in life you think you want. You may already have it. It's just a perspective shift. And if you, if you, don't, you don't necessarily have to make grand sweeping changes, but just incremental changes every single day. You know, to live the life that you want or appreciate the life that you already have. Maybe that's really what it's about is not so much, you know, someday, someday, someday. I think this message that he's shared with everyone is, you know, appreciate the now, appreciate the little things. Stop looking so far ahead that you don't see what's right in front of you because we do just get one shot. And I hope you appreciate it. I really do. You should. I appreciate you. I appreciate getting to talk to you. And I appreciate doing this. And also thanks to Beer Olympic Athlete for making that amazing post. And thank you for reminding me of the value of time. And not just that time is innately valuable, but time also has the value that we place in it. So, um... As I'm wrapping up this word salad wrap, uh, I hope you have a beautiful day. And I hope that if you do have a beautiful day, that you are able to recognize that you had a beautiful day. And if you're not having a beautiful day, if you're having a lousy day, I hope that somehow you're able to see the beauty in it. Take care. As my dad used to say, I'll talk at you soon. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.